this morning, our passage will be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, as we're going to look specifically at verses 3 through 7. As was mentioned already in our prayer time, um, I think of the Daney family. As I read the passage we're talking about this morning, about the God of all comfort, I think of the Daney family and what they're going through these last couple of weeks now as they've, again, said goodbye to a husband, to a father, to a grandfather. And, you know, we're able to rejoice that our brother Bob is, is with the Lord, um, that he entered our Lord's presence. But he still leaves others behind. And that's where the sorrow part of things come in because others now have to move on apart from him being with them any longer. He, lives, he, live, he, he leaves an empty place in their lives, and that's just reality. There's an emptiness there now, empty spot at the dinner table, emptiness in other ways because he's simply not there. And I think especially, again, of his wife, Joanne, and the family, um, it goes without saying that, again, that they need comfort at this time. And all of us have probably experienced the, the sting of death in some regards. We've said goodbye to spouses, uh, to loved ones, to friends. And we know that is a specific time in all of our lives. We need a special measure of God's comfort and mercy as we walk through that. And we know, and this is where we have hope in such things like that, when people say goodbye to loved ones or we walk through other dark times, other difficult days. We do have the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. Again, I think of that as I think of the Danies. I think of that as I think of other struggles that you and I are probably going through. Maybe some I know, maybe some I don't know. Things in your heart that cause you anguish and hurt and pain. In our passage this morning is a resounding reminder that no matter what we're facing in life, God is with us. He's in the circumstances with us. He's there in our hearts and the anguish, and he's there to give compassion, to give comfort, to give encouragement, and to see us through those times. And one of the things that I'm sure happened with the Daney family as they walked through this and the funeral occurred this past Wednesday, and a whole bunch of people gathered. And those people gathered to help be part of the comfort, to share the comfort that they have. I know that some of us from church were able to, to be there and to go through the line and speak to Joanne a little bit. And, you know, we don't have a lot of time, but we can at least remind her, we're with you, we're praying for you. If you need anything, if you need help, we're here. And, and what we're doing in that moment is, is very much what this passage is going to be talking about. That you and I get to be part of God's comfort in other people's lives. And that when he, he works in your heart, he fills up your heart with his love, grace, and joy. So that you can, go into, you can step into the painful parts of other people's lives. And you can be there with them. And you get to be part of God's instrument in those moments. To 
to bring comfort. And that's what happens at places, at times like funerals or other times in our life where there's, you know, a real and clear pain and anguish of heart. So we're looking again at 2 Corinthians this morning, chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. A passage all about the comfort of God. And how that speaks to our heart and then how we're enabled to go into the lives of others and be part of God's comfort into their heart as well. It's a powerful passage. Um, it's one that I feel like you can just read over and over and over again and you never feel like you exhaust it. Because as you read it, a lot of times probably where your reflection goes is, am I experiencing this? Because it's, it's put there right in front of us. The God of all comfort. And as we read through this, we're going to see some little words that mean a lot. Paul says God is the God of all comfort. There's a little three-letter word, all. So nothing is accepted from what he's talking about. There's no pain or suffering in your life that is accepted from God's offer to bring comfort to your heart in the midst of that pain and trouble. And he talks about how he's going to equip us so that we can help people in every trouble or all trouble. Again, there's just no tribulation, there's no anguish, there's nothing that's left off the table in this verse. And I, and I think about this as we go through it, what we're going to continue to see is our God, he's the God of mercy, he's the God of comfort, he's the God of grace. John said God is love. He's the God of joy. And so we have this God, the God of peace, joy, love, grace, comfort. And perhaps for some of us, our disposition doesn't always reflect that, how great a God we have. We have this great and awesome God, and sometimes our disposition is more like that of Oscar the Grouch. You know, like we, we've had enough, we don't want people around, we don't, we're not interested in what's going on in other people's lives. We know we can be like that. And so a verse like this is, is a very stark kind of evaluator of where am I with the Lord right now in my life with him? Am I receiving and experiencing his mercy and comfort as I walk through hard things? Or am I not? And some of the symptoms of that becomes murmuring, complaining, frustration, discontentment. And, and, and I'm, I'm guilty of all that. I'm probably guilty of that in the last few days. <laughs> to some degree. Let's look at our passage here. and Let's reread the first couple of verses in verses 3 and 4 where Paul writes again, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation. Again, it's nothing's accepted here. That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Again, in these two verses that we're, we're making a simple point, God is with us in all troubles. The God of all comfort is with us in all troubles. There's nothing in our life in which God is not with you. And there in your heart, walking with you through the pain 
and the anguish. It's something that's, again, it's easy to forget. We see in verse 3 that we might summarize it as we do in our outline, that our Father is with us in all suffering and encourages us through all trials. This is basically what verse 3 is saying. Paul, first of all, calls God blessed here. It's a term that's in the New Testament. It's only used of God, this particular Greek word. It means to speak well of. It's a term of adoration and praise and worship. God alone is the blessed one because of who he is. And already there's a little bit of an indicator here of of how we deal with sorrow and anguish and pain and suffering in our lives is we always need to bring our eyes back to Christ, back to God our Heavenly Father, and simply praise him for the great God he is. The heart of praise and thanksgiving is so important. And praise is meant to help shift our heart and mind back to the Lord when we just acknowledge the goodness of him in our lives. So Paul right away says, God is blessed. And he's blessed because he's the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. We have two interesting words here. First of all, he's again said he's the father of mercies. He's the source of mercy in our lives. And the word for mercy here is the idea of compassion. And it's the idea of God has deep feeling for you. He is with you. It's not just a pity from afar. It's not looking and saying, well, that poor soul's having a rough time. It is entering the pain with you. That's what God does. That's how, how his mercy works. It is a heart of compassion that enters in to the trial with the individual. And that's one of the ways God loves us and showers us with his grace. He is with us in our suffering, caring deeply about what we're going through. And this says a couple of things to me. First of all, your troubles are never trivial to God. They're never trivial to him. He cares about all the details of your life. It all matters to him. And the other thing, as was already mentioned, but God will be present in all your troubles and pain and your problems. He will walk through them with you. He cares and he's there as the Father of mercy. And that is something that I don't know about you, but I need that kind of like right here a lot of the time that he's here, that he's with me. Because we, we, we see what we see in our everyday lives. We see what's in front of us. We feel what we feel. And it's easy to begin to kind of forget that God is still good, that God is still the Father of mercy, and he's with you through it all. He's right there with you. He never forsake you in any of the pain you go through. Paul also calls him, again, the God of all comfort in verse 3. I just think, what a, what a title for God, the God of all comfort. What God do you serve? Well, I serve the God of all comfort. Who do you serve? <laughs> it's like, wow, the God of all comfort. And here, the word for comfort is a very important word in the New Testament. And I'm going to give you a little bit of the Greek this morning, but it's the word in the Greek. Uh, it comes from the, the verb parakaleo, parakaleo. And maybe you've heard us talk about that word before. 
but it's the word, it's often in the New Testament translated as encouragement, comfort. It can be, in, in our passage, every time you read the word comfort or consolation or encouragement, if that's how your Bible, it's the same Greek word. It's this parakalao idea. And it's actually the same word, uh, a form of the word is actually used to describe the Holy Spirit. He was the paraclete, as some say. He was the one that Christ said, I'm going to send the, the paraclete, the one who will be with you. He will aid you. He will, he will be with you through all what you, that you go through. And so he uses this word, and what it means is to, to call from alongside. To call from alongside. That's what the word parakaleo means, to call from alongside. And that's what God's doing in your life. It's picturing God at your side, speaking into your heart, and all the things you go through, all the trials and the pains and so forth, he's right there with you through it all, never forsaking you. That's what the idea of comfort is and encouragement is there. Now, Paul, he's not talking about a worldly comfort here. He's not talking about getting to a state of absence from problems because that state does not exist <laughs> in this world. There's coming a time when God will eradicate death and sorrow and suffering from this world and wipe away every tear. That's coming for sure. But that's not what he's doing now. Now he's comforting you through the things that bring tears to your, your heart and your eyes. That's what he's doing today. He's walking with you, in you, at your side, speaking his truth and promise into your life as you face hard things with him. That's the parakaleo, the God of comfort. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Desmond Doss. He was a World War II medic, and he was known, because of his religious convictions, he wouldn't carry a firearm. And his probably most famous um, event of his life is when he was at the Battle of Hacksaw Ridge in Okinawa, Japan. And they made a movie about it a few years ago called Hacksaw Ridge, and maybe you're familiar with that. But, but um, Desmond Doss, um, even though a lot of the men in his his company and everything, they didn't have any respect for him. They didn't like his convictions. They thought it was odd and weird and all that. When it, when it came to this battle, and they were getting hammered by the Japanese, and they were dropping, and people were getting wounded, and Desmond Doss, as the medic, he kept going back into the battlefield. They were retreating out, and they had to retreat over a ridge down to a lower elevation, so it was very difficult. But as they were retreating and men were falling, he kept going back into the battlefield to get one more person, one more person, one more person. And they say by the end of it, he was covered in blood, head to toe, all blood of other men. He, had to, he would pick those men up or drag them or whatever he could. He would get a hold of them. And, you know, I don't know what all he said. Maybe he was saying things like, I'm going to get you out of here. But he would get them to the ridge, and then he would lower them down. And, and he got 75 men out of there. Over 12 hours that day. 75 men over 12 hours. That's hard to even believe, isn't it? But that's the story. And that's what everyone uh, has said to confirm it. But But I think of a picture like a guy like that who goes into that place of horror 
where words like sorrow and anguish would barely scratch the surface of what they were experiencing in that battle and seeing people die and getting blown apart. And this man kept coming back for them and entering back into the fray with them, entering back into that place of suffering to grab a hold of these men and get them out. And when I think of a guy like that on a battlefield, got another man wrapped around his shoulder and saying something like, I'm going to get you out of here, I think of parakala'o, of that's what God is in our life. Whatever battle is raging in your life, God has got a hold of you. Most likely he's carrying you through it, and he's speaking to your heart, I'm with you. I'm going to be through you to the end. I'm going to be with you to the end. That's the God we have. Verse 4 takes that a step further. God comforts us so we can comfort others. He wants us to be part of what he's doing, which that is its own beautiful thing, that you and I get to be used of God to, to basically be, be like little paracletes, if you will. If God is the paraclete, we get to be like the little paracletes, not parakeets, <laughs> paraclete. We get to be the, the, we get a parakala'o alongside others, as God does in our life. That's what verse 4 is saying here. Our Father desires to comfort us that we may encourage or comfort others. The focus comes to us here, that, that we get to be part of this. God wants to use us in other people's lives. The word here for trouble, tribulation, maybe your Bible says trouble, but it's, I'm going to give you another Greek word here. It's kind of a hard one to say because it's like we don't have many words. It would, if we wrote it in English, it would start with T-H-L. So it's hard to sound to make like a fla, fla. It's hard to make. But the word here is flipsis, flipsis, okay? I just think it's a fun word to say, you know, <laughs> flipsis. But that's the word that's translated tribulation and trouble and anguish in the New Testament. And the idea of it is, is pressure. When he says God can comfort us in all our tribulation, he's saying whatever it is in your life that's squeezing you, that's where God's going to work with you. That's what God's going to take you through. There's no pressure, no stress, no squeezing, no trial that he's not wanting to be your paraclete through and carry you through that thing. So that's, we can understand that, that, that idea of pressure. We feel that. Uh, that's where some Bibles even use the word affliction because a lot of times it's in, internal, this internal pressure caused from whatever else is going on in our life. And thus we feel the pain and sorrow and so forth. But again, as verse 4 says, God comforts us that we may be able to comfort those who also struggle. It's a, it's a special beauty in how God uses the members of the body of Christ. I think what this is communicating is that it's the idea, I don't think it's talking about specific tribulations. That, you know, there, there is sometimes a special thing when somebody's going through something and you've went through something very similar and you may be able to comfort and speak to that. But I don't think that that's what this passage is necessarily emphasizing. I think the passage is emphasizing when you as a Christian 
can go to God with all your thlipsis, all your pressure and squeezing and trials and anguish of heart, and you go to God, and he can comfort your heart and fill you up from the inside out, now you're ready to come along somebody else and be present in their lives as they go through that same process. I think the idea is really any Christian can comfort any other Christian no matter what they're going through because God's speaking to each one's heart. God's working in each one's heart, and he's equipping us to comfort others in that way. So I think the emphasis is really on us. Are we receiving from God directly? Are we receiving that comfort in our lives, whatever we're going through? Because we're going to have people in our lives. They may be doing something similar, may be doing something different, but now we have comfort that we can give. That seems to be what the point is of, of verse 4. Um, we can, too, enter into their distress with them. I'm going to share a passage that speaks to this or kind of paints it a different way, and that's Romans 12, 15, where in this verse, Paul writes, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. There's the ministry of the parakala'o. Right there. I mean, th- this, is, this is a verse that speaks to you and I, our ministry with the Lord. What God's called us to. This is one of the things. You've got people in your life that are probably rejoicing. Can you rejoice with them? Or in your heart, maybe there's a little tinge of envy. Maybe there's a little tinge of why isn't it my turn to have a little rejoicing. Those little tinges come in, don't they? And you, can we really rejoice sincerely with those who rejoice you can when your comfort comes from God and he's filling your heart what about weep with those who weep uh that one even may be easier that may even be easier weep with those who weep because it when you see somebody in pain it probably pulls you into a more empathetic mode than seeing somebody rejoice <laughs> but when you see somebody down and feeling uh hurt and and in pain and they're and you know they're just they're just in that state, whether they're actually crying or weeping or not. Can we just be present to be with them in that moment and just be pray, weep with them? Even to cry with them and to feel that pain with them. Again, it just shows how we can be a source of encouragement in somebody else's life. And this starts to paint the picture of how we do that. How we do that. Um... I'm going to give you a few ideas on how we comfort others. I think as God fills our heart, God walks us through the, the dark days of life, the difficult things, and he, he helps us to learn more of his comfort and encouragement. When we can go into somebody else's life, here's some ideas on how we can comfort them. The first one's easy. Just be present. Just be present. That's what God is. He's present in our pain and anguish. That goes back to that word for mercy. He's there. He sees it. He has a deep feeling. He shares it with you. And that's kind of like what this verse is, is getting at too. But just, just be there. Just be there. Our very presence speaks volumes for God. You don't have to be eloquent to comfort and encourage. Often you need only be present. And sometimes the greater part of wisdom is to just be silent as well as we'll talk. But the next thing, listen. Just listen. I do think of the verse in James that says, um, be swift to hear, but be slow to speak. Be slow to, be slow to wrath, be slow to speak, quick to hear. 
um, just listen. Hear the person and what they're going through. Don't try and tell them how they ought to feel. Don't say things like, um, well, at least it's not as bad as what so-and-so went through. You know, you ever hear things like that? Somebody's suffering. Well, at least it's not, at least it's not as bad as what this person did. You know what that is? That's minimizing. That's trivializing what a person's going through. And that's something God never does that I ever see in the Bible. He's always compassionate right where you're at. He doesn't tell you how you ought to feel. He comes right where you do feel. And he begins to walk you through it. And that's what he calls us to do. So be present. Listen. A lot of times that will go so far, just letting a person talk and listening to what they're saying. And a lot of times if you're dealing with other Christians, they know probably all the Bible verses you're thinking of. And you're wondering if you should say it or not. Or you're wondering what I should say next and things like that. They've probably already heard it and know it. And deep down in their heart, like all of us in our times of suffering, we wrestle with those truths as we experience life. And like, am I, can I really trust God in this area? Can I really believe that promise? Can I really believe God works all things to good when everything in my life looks like a shipwreck? You know, they probably know the verses. So I think of, I think of that. Be present, listen. And in the moment, and we have to be sensitive to the spirit and everything, but I think there is a time to share lovingly as you can. There's a time to bring in and help. And a lot of times a person will invite you in. They may say something like, what do you think? What about this? It's just being sensitive to the spirit's leading and all that. But if you are going to share, what you want to focus on is, is the things that's true of God. God's promises, his truth about him. You don't want to say things that are like platitudes. You don't want to say something like, well, it'll all be all right. Can you promise that? Can you promise it'll all be right? I mean, you might be looking at heaven and saying, well, in the resurrection, it'll all be all right. But, but no, we're saying right now. What's God doing right now? Yes, he's using the suffering to, to give us a far and exceeding weight of glory. He's shaping us. He's molding us. But we want to bring the attention back to God, his goodness. His love. And I think that's so often um, where people can kind of maybe not be the source of comfort that God intends for them. Because when we do speak, we do say things that trivialize, minimize. Or we put things, we start talking about what puts focus on us. And this goes back. Sometimes we might think, well, I've been through that. And let me tell you my story. And there may be a time for that. But, if, but you also have to be sensitive. You, may, you barge into that right in the moment. And it just sounds like all you want to do is talk about you instead of hear what they're going through. And so I just share all this in light of this passage. Um, as God works, he's present, he cares, he's with us, and he does call alongside. But what he's calling is, I'm the God of all comfort. I will be with you. I will not forsake you. I am working all things to good. It may not look like it in this life. But it will be that result in the future. <clears throat> and all of that that God does, it can come through our lives, in our actions, in our words. And there well may be a test, a time where a person's going through something and you've went through something very similar. And, and you may say, I learned to trust God through that too. Because God showed me how good he was in all that.
I think of, I think of my, um, my father-in-law. Um, he lost his wife, my, our mother-in-law, back in July. And um, flipsis, squeeze, pressure, anguish, hurt. An empty place at the table, an empty place on the couch, an empty place at family gatherings, an empty, you know, empty place where grandma was, an empty place where mom was, an empty place where my wife was. You know, that's, that's what everybody's going through and dealing with that and walking through that and feeling the anguish of heart from that, knowing she's with the Lord, yes, but still dealing with life now in her absence. And he, my father-in-law, you could see him through the steps. Trusting God, trusting God, still praising God, being thankful when she's gone, being thankful for the time he did have with her and him voicing that in our very presence. Don't you, do you think that didn't speak volumes to all of us that watched him walk through that and, all, and the others going through it with him? What he chose to do in his tribulation of that moment of life is he chose to keep turning back to God, turning his heart back to God and receiving God's mercy and comfort and knowing God was with him and knowing that God was still working, God is still good, and God did have a plan. And, and you know, it, we're, we all look forward to that day in the resurrection and we're all with the Lord. And a lot of us probably like to know more behind the scenes of what God was doing in that and this and that. And why this way, you know? And we could spend a lot, of, a lot of time just hearing how God worked in all these little things in our lives that we maybe never knew about. But we would certainly love to just know what his hand was accomplishing. But in this life, often we don't know. And we're not going to know. And so it always comes down for us as Christians, is God enough? Is God enough? Because we're not going to have the knowledge. We're not going to be able to walk by sight. We're not going to be able to know all that he's doing and why it went this way instead of that way. But my father-in-law and all that, you could tell in his life, he was staying close to God in his heart. And God was walking him through it. And you know, in those, even in the early days and beyond, you know what God began to do? Is you could see God used him to comfort others. And people would open up their heart to him because of what he's going through. And he could talk about God's goodness and how God was seeing him through. And because of the way God was working in Jim's life, Jim could be a comforter to others and still is. And anybody that knows him know he's already an encourager and a comforter already. Loves to come alongside people and minister to them. But you could see that how because he kept going to God and receiving, he had something still to give because of how, how his heart was in tune with the Lord and all of that. As we read on in our passage, verses 5 through 7, um, they bring out, I don't know, maybe we say the emphasis is a little bit stronger on the suffering side of things. Verse 5 says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. And as we talk about verses 5 through 7, the point on the outline, the main point we want to make here is God has purpose in all suffering. He has purpose in all suffering. All of that thlipsis, 
funny word, packs a lot of punch. <laughs> all that squeezing and pressure and pain in our life. He says God has a purpose in all that. And that at times is hard to believe. But that's what scripture tells us over and over again. And we want to say next here that our Father uses suffering as an opportunity for us to experience his love. I think that's something that's happening in this passage. It's certainly talked about in other places of scripture. But Paul, in this epistle, he talks about his own personal sufferings more in this letter than any other letter. He's going to talk later about how he's been stoned, how he's been beaten, how he's been shipwrecked, how every day of his life he feels like he's bearing the death of Christ in his life, and he is perplexed, but not in despair. And he's, he does all these troubles and pain and, and trials and everything that, that, that squeezed him in his life. You, don't read about, you read about most of it in this book because he's very open-hearted with them, very transparent with them and showing how he deals with all of that. He goes to the God of all comfort. But what Paul learned in all of that, I think, is, you know, and it's what all suffering really is meant to do, is it's meant to actually direct our heart more into the heart of God. It's actually meant to kind of whittle away all those little areas of self-reliance that we hold on to, and it whittles all that away, suffering does, has a way of doing that, to where you're, it's just your heart raw before God. And when we're in those places, those are the times when probably God is the biggest to us. When we're most listening to God. When we're most hearing His promises. When we're most experiencing His comfort, His mercy, His love. Because everything else has been whittled away and it's just you and God in that moment. And you see how much He really still loves you. A passage that comes to mind on this is Romans chapter 5, 3 through 5, where I think it's very similar to our passage, just spelled a little differently here. Romans 5, 3 through 5. And Paul says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. And we could just stop there and reflect, right? Can I glory in tribulations? You only can do that with God. And when you see it's God's hand, it's God's character, it's God's love working out, it's his goodness working out in our tribulations, we can actually glory in that. He goes on and he says, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. God lets tribulation come into our lives so we learn to hold on to him and be able to go through the hard times and not run away and not quit on God, not give up, not throw in the towel, but persevere because he's real in our lives. Verse 4, and perseverance, character. See, God's growing us through this process of trial and suffering. He's growing us in character, in godliness, in trusting Him more. So more of His life can come out in my life. He's breaking me down little by little so more and more of Him can be seen. And He says, in character, hope. A lot of us probably hope we don't suffer. 
We don't want tribulation, but the reality is we need it. We need it. And it's interesting that he says it works toward hope. It actually builds your confidence in God, your expectation of God's goodness in your future. And again, it may not be in this life, but it is coming. And a lot of what carried Paul through all the stuff that he endured was knowing there was a finish line and one day he would be in his Savior's arms and truly every tear would be wiped away. And it's hard for us to think like that sometimes. We want it to get good now. We want it to be good next week in our life. We want it to be easier when we get out of this crisis we're in. And God does not promise that. But he does promise you whatever he's going to allow in your life, he will be with you and he will see you through it. In verse 5 of Romans 5, 3 and 5, still up here on the screen, or we're going to go to it here, but now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It's so interesting to me that in the context of trial and tribulation in this passage, he takes it to the love of God poured out in your heart. That's what you're meant to experience through tribulation. God's love becoming more and more real in your heart and life. Because you're receiving from him in your difficulties. You're learning as the suffering chips away your uh, self-reliance or whatever it is. All you can do is cling to God and hold on to his love. And that's all we ever really have. But life puts out illusions that we can control things and we can hold on to things and it's about what we're doing. No, it's it's always what God is doing. Tribulation just makes it more real to us. So it always brings us back to God's love. Our Father uses suffering as an opportunity for us to experience His love more. That seems like a paradox, but that's what the Scripture shows us because, again, it brings you to your heart and God's heart, and that's all there is. And then you see more clearly, He's the God of all comfort. He's the God of all encouragement, the God of all grace, the God of all love. And He's ultimately all that we really have. And Paul doesn't just stop there. I mean, verse 5, too, I'll just kind of paraphrase real quick. He says, as the sufferings abound, so too does the consolation or the comfort. And basically the idea is, however much you're suffering, God's comfort will still be enough. You'll never get to a point where, well, God ain't going to be able to take care of this one. It's too much. It's never going to be too much for him. And that's what verse 5 is kind of saying in a nutshell. Some people like to render it that as much as suffering abounds, God's comfort will super abound. That it'll even be more than any suffering you might face. And so he does give us that promise. Not that it's going to get all rosy, but that no matter how bad it's going to get, his comfort will match it. And his grace, as he says later in this very book, will be sufficient. It'll be enough. God will be enough. We move on to verse 6. 
He says, now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and, uh, and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. What we want to say on this verse is that our Father uses our example of suffering to encourage others. He's using our example. And here he's using Paul's example to the Corinthians. Paul's saying, I've found comfort in the Lord. I've also went through a lot of suffering. And he says, but we did it, we did it partly on your, for your sake. And I think what he's saying here is, he's maybe pointing back to all the trial and tribulation, the squeezing, the flipsis he experienced in bringing the Corinthians the gospel. When he brought the message of salvation, it wasn't easy. He had to trust God through that. And then when he was amongst them and ministered to them in their dysfunction, it wasn't easy. But he continued to trust in God. And, and we don't have time to unpack this again, but when you come to 2 Corinthians, there's been this back and forth with Paul and that church this is actually believed to be the fourth letter he wrote, and he's made a visit, and in his previous letter, he was very severe because they needed some stern correction. But what we see in all that is he stayed open to them. He didn't throw them away. He continued to be comforted of God. He wasn't looking to the Corinthians to make him happy. He wasn't looking to other people to get what he was looking for in life, to give him some satisfaction of soul. He kept going to people who oftentimes didn't care for him because of God's comfort in his heart. He kept being compelled by the love of Christ to go back to the person, to go back to the people, to take a little bit more time, to be a little bit more long-suffering. We might say it that way. Paul's suffering taught him to be long-suffering with life and with others. And what he says is, we did that. It was for your comfort. It was for your salvation. We did it for you, he's saying. And the Corinthians were meant to learn from that. And, and we need people in our lives, right, that we can look at at times and learn from. I mentioned my father-in-law. I'm learning from him in this season of what he's going through. I know other people that are suffering. And by seeing them and how they trust God and how they walk through it, I learn from them. And what they're experiencing and how they're receiving from God does bring comfort to me. The Lord is using it. And that's how he's going to work in our lives. When we suffer, and, and we, don't, we don't allow suffering to be what keeps us away from God, but we let suffering be what takes us closer to the heart of God, your example will encourage others. God's going to use it. We come to verse 7 and he says, and our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will be of the consolation. Our Father uses suffering in our lives to equip us for ministry. Verse 7 displays Paul's confidence that the Corinthians would respond well to their own sufferings. I mean, apparently they were going through some things too. After Paul's continued work and ministering their lives, some of them were really standing for the Lord, and it seems that they were going through some hard times, that they too were getting squeezed by their community or by people in their lives or by non-Christians and so forth. They were, going, they were experiencing some of what Paul calls the sufferings of Christ, the specific sufferings that come from standing for the Lord. That's a lot of what Paul's sufferings were. 
I don't think he limits it in our passage at all to that. But he's, I think he's specifically focusing on those areas of our life where like, yeah, you stand strong, you're going to get persecuted. Things are going to come. Satan's going to attack you. This is what's going to happen. But, as Paul tells them here, he had a hope of them. And what he's saying here, he uses hope. He's not talking about a future good of God that God's going to do. He's talking about he thinks the Corinthians will endure the sufferings and they too will find comfort in the Lord. That he sees them on a trajectory now where they're moving toward the heart of God and they're learning to receive from God. And he says, I, I, I really believe you're going to experience comfort through this. As if you stand strong with God in the sufferings, you're going, to, you're going to partake of that comfort. You're going to experience that more. You're going to experience that love of God more. And that's the good that he sees in all of this. And as we said a minute ago, <clears throat> Paul could be in this place where he was with the Corinthians, coaching them, comforting them, speaking truth into their life because he had received from God in all his pain. He had been equipped for ministry through his sufferings, through his receiving of God. So he could speak deeply into their hurt and heartache as well. He kept encouraging them because of the encouragement he had from God. And in all of this, again, it goes back, it always goes back to verse 3. Our God is awesome. Blessed be God because he's the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. And ultimately, that's all we can offer somebody. All I can do is show you the God of all comfort. We, you and I, we can't be people's soul support network. We can't be a person's crutch or however you want to word it. We can't be a person's uh, we can't be who they depend on spiritually, you know, if you know what I mean by that. We can't be the, what they depend on. They ha you have to learn to depend on God. You have to find your comfort and encouragement in Him. Not your spouse. Not your job. Not your religious leader or whatever, the, whatever you want to say. It's in God alone. The God of all comfort. I'm going to close with some words from a, name, from a man named uh, Brett Blair. And this is what he writes. Pastor James Moore of Houston, Texas, tells a story about a young man whose wife had died, leaving him with a small son. Back home from the cemetery, they went to bed early because there was nothing else he could bear to do. As he lay there in the darkness, grief-stricken and heartbroken, the little boy broke the stillness from his little bed with a disturbing question. Daddy, where is mommy? The father got up and brought the little boy to bed with him, but the child was still disturbed and restless, occasionally asking questions such as, why isn't she here? And when is she coming back? Finally, the little boy said, Daddy, if your face is toward me, I think I can go to sleep now. In a little while, he was quiet. The father lay there in the darkness, and then in childlike faith, he prayed this prayer. Oh God, I don't see how I can survive this. 
the future looks so miserable. But if your face is toward me, somehow I think I can make it. That's what the Messiah came to teach us. That God's face is always toward us. Nothing ever will be able to separate you from his love. Now that's real security. And so I share that just as one final reminder that Indeed, our God is the God of all comfort. And his face is there. He is there. Let's pray. Father, continue to teach us to rely on your strength, your comfort. Lord, let, let, let us let you come into the deep places of our heart where we struggle and where we suffer so that we can learn that you and your love and your comfort are enough for us. No matter how dark the days get or no matter how difficult the road ahead, Lord, we know you promise to be enough and that your grace will be sufficient. So, Father, help us to be faithful to you and to lean on you and look to you in all our trouble. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.